Welcome to The Story Tinker, a place for in-depth analysis of stories, including Midnight Poppyland, Purple Hyacinth, and more. Co-hosted by sharp, witty, and dare I say, thirsty fans, we dive deep into every episode, analyzing character, relationship development, and plot theories. You can follow The Story Tinker on all podcast platforms and videos of most episodes on YouTube. You can also follow The Story Tinker on Instagram and Facebook. If you'd like weekly bonus content, sneak peeks, and more, you can support The Story Tinker on Patreon. Thanks for listening to The Story Tinker, and let's get started. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 11 of the Purple Hyacinth podcast, Hidden Home. And we are here with Meg and Fu. Hello. <laughs> and Meg gave away for those of you not watching. <laughs> so... We start off with the scene with a very fast Lauren and Kieran who are zooming along on the rooftops because, you know, they can't take the streets like normal people. <laughs> um, yeah, he's Mr. Drama wherever he wherever he goes, whatever he does. And um, I think it's pretty remarkable that she can keep up. I think he's impressed by that. Mm-hmm. I like how he keeps looking over his shoulder at her. And yes, the flair for the dramatic is a key character trait. I love it. Yeah. Um, I think it's shown later on that Lauren is actually wearing heels in this scene. Yes. So like that kind of scares me a little bit. Like, you know, maybe there's some loose tiles or something. She could slip and just die. Either that or what are the what are these women's calves made out of, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've noticed she wears heels quite a lot. And as someone who never wears heels, I am yeah. just like uh more power. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, she must have an incredible amount of balance. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Someone, or it's just a cartoon. <laughs> for someone who's as accident prone as she is, she needs the balance. She needs to be able to do something like that. Otherwise, I can't imagine. Mm-hmm. So Lauren asks him, where are you taking me? He says, somewhere where we won't be overheard. And she's like, my, my, who's the scandalous one now? with referring uh referring to a joke that she, he made last time so there we go i mean this is like the first day and they're already joking around with each other they've just what? signed the deal and straight into the teasing is that, that a red flag me. is that a red flag i think it's a good sign i think it means they they have a rapport i mean of- that but like lauren being that comfortable with a serial killer like she just had her first conversation with the guy you know where there's not a knife pointed at her throat and all of a sudden she's just like flirting back i it's wouldn't say it's flirting but it does kind of scare me how she's like already so down to follow him because like he could be he, there are ways that like he could be lying to her and sort of half truthing things just making it seem that it's not really lies and she's already following him to a, to an undisclosed location <laughs> like girl that another is aspect. not um, safe yeah maybe another aspect of she's the blindest of all she's so <laughs> dependent on that lie detector she will do really dumb stuff like follow a serial killer to a, a yeah. cave <laughs> <laughs> yep exactly and I mean this is a typical Lauren characteristic she jumps into things she's rash she's bold (laughs) sometimes a little too bold but that's why we love her (laughs) and he laughs and they run into a forest now so they leave the city run into a forest (laughs) again you know danger element and he does check back with her he's like are you okay there and she has to dodge a branch but she says yes 
And again, I'm thinking that he's getting more and more impressed with her, not just for her ability to keep up with him, but also for her recklessness. I think there's a part of him that admires that. I think they're very akin in that way. Lauren has very apparently never read any murder mysteries or like just stories about serial killers because like, you know, leading someone to a secondary location and especially when that secondary location are the woods, like very questionable right there. Lauren, are you thinking straight? Did did you hit your head in the alley the other day? I mean, uh, she's a detective, so she's heard, she's read a lot of like, I'm sure like murders and case files and stuff. So don't think that can be an excuse, honestly. I mean, she's asking to be murdered right now. <laughs> Pretty much. But luckily the story does not end here. They, <laughs> they reach a river or some kind of body of water where there is a waterfall crashing down and they seem to make their way through it without getting wet, by the way. <laughs> and they enter a cave which is behind the waterfall and the cave is barred with um a gate which kieran unlocks and he says after you officer very gentlemanly again she's walking into a locked cave behind a waterfall in a forest away from the city <laughs> oh god <laughs> i'd like to really- give one little observation here um, up to this point, she's been following his back. He's been trusting her not to pull her gun. This is the first time she's had her back to him. So I just kind of like that, that, you know, that back and forth of that past trust. And I find it interesting that he was the first one that was just like, sure, I'll trust you not to shoot me in the back. Yeah, you know, I guess this is a, you could say, you know, this is an ideal spot to shoot him as well. Maybe she's not the only one who's making bad decisions here. I think also, though, he's smart enough to know that she's foolish enough to trust him. (laughs) Yeah. I think both of them do have a pretty, well, I don't know about Lauren, but I think Kieran does have a a good read of people. So, yeah, it's using that. He seems pretty observant and is like able to survey a scene or a situation and you know figure out what's the best thing to do mm-hmm. ironic that he's the one without the ability yet he's better at, at reading situations than she is irony well, i think sweet, it's a irony and she probably uses it as a crutch um mm-hmm. my mother always has the saying that people who are good looking didn't um often rely on their good looks to get by and don't develop other traits like intelligence or kindness or creativity and people who aren't so good looking have to develop something else. So Lauren might just have always relied on her truth-telling ability and lacked, you know, kind of more. The truth is though, she does say that she developed analytical skills so that she can prove her hunches to other people. So, but probably both. I I don't really know how true that thing is. I've heard it a few times, but I'd say like, you know, you adapt to situation. And, you know, your circumstances make you who you are. So I wouldn't say that, of course, it's not an absolute thing. It's a a thing. I never, like, looked this up statistically. (laughs) Um, So they enter the cave, and it's very interesting. Um, I did not expect this. (laughs) We have a cave filled with stuff. It looks like he lives there, at least for now. That is a chandelier. Um, it's kind of hard to see, but 
there's like table chairs, there's a like a platform bed, stuff that looks like speakers, but clearly must not be speakers. <laughs> and then he has this extensive um, training section. So not surprised, like that's where he gets all his skills from. Obviously he has to keep in shape. And it's kind of interesting also to see the modern training equipment. I'm not sure what training equipment looked like, uh, you know, a hundred something years ago, but you know, it's interesting to see like they're taking wood and they're making modern equipment out of wood. So he's like home sweet home, which is, you know, a classic Kieran line because he likes to just make things, make a joke out of things and take something that's like dramatic or very serious and just make it frivolous and funny. And we'll see this throughout the comic where he makes these kinds of jokes. And I, I, sorry, sorry. Um, it's, I think, I wonder if the, if the cave was originally planned to just be his home because he's like home sweet home, it's not in red. And I wonder if the apartment was kind of like an, not an afterthought, but it came like it came later. Like it's a pretty elaborate setup to just, you know, be his secondary place of residence. Yeah, I'm very curious when we'll see this again. I don't want to like go into too much, but like I do want to, I do want to know like where does he really live? What's, Fingers crossed for the, back, the box bed making a reappearance. <laughs> <laughs> right? he, has, he has a bed in there, so it is likely, or it is very possible that he does spend a lot of time in here. If he, you know, he has, he needs accommodations to like sleep, and there's a table, so he probably has like some sort of food supply in there, but. No, um, you know, two homes, maybe. <laughs> Karen's a spaghettios man. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, there's water in the cave. It's a very interesting home, let's just say. And <laughs> she says, I can't, yeah. she's like, I can't believe it actually led me to the Purple Hide since Lair. And he, you know, was like, would you stop talking about him as if he's not me? And I find that a little bit interesting because I feel like this is the first time he's asking to be looked at as a human. Um, and this is like right away. Um, he doesn't want to be known as the purple hyacinth. He's like, I'm a person. Or I think it's also, I honestly, when I first read it, I thought it was like a reminder that like, hey, same person here. We're not two different entities. Um, this is like my lair. So like, would you stop talking to him as if he's not me? Because I led you to my lair, not the purple hyacinth. This is my lair because I am the purple hyacinth, if that sort of makes sense. Yeah, I mean, he, definitely, sorry, go ahead. No, I, just, I, I feel like he's just kind of chuckling at her, like, wow, I'm dramatics, you're dramatics, we're both dramatics, <laughs> it works. <laughs> well, I'll always take the emotional bent because I prefer that. I feel this is his <laughs> first time reaching out, he wants to be seen as a human. <laughs> He's just known as a scary monster and he doesn't want to be that. So that's my story and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> and she just says, I'm just, and then he's like stunned speechless by my incredible taste in home decor. And again, it's like very interesting how we can go from being, I'm an, you know, saying I'm an assassin, I murder people and I'm an expert at it to, oh, don't you love my home decor taste? And I mean, this is what makes him so interesting. And again, just remind us that he's a human being and he's also a pretty funny one. Ironically, this scene is, or this whole episode, or at least this beginning part, is very humanizing for him. Like it gives it makes it gives him a bit more of a human touch. Like, you know, we see the bed, um, he's cracking jokes, he's being sarcastic, and they're talking about home decor. <laughs> so, you know, it's 
he's almost like nothing like the other assassin we saw the other night. Being where someone lives is really a window into who they are, and it really is very intimate. So mm -hmm. it's, I mean, yeah, another interesting, you know, reason that he brought her here. You know, I'm sure there were other quiet places they could have gone to that weren't his house. Mm -hmm. He trusts her enough to bring her here. Or either that, or he's like, I dare you to tell the police. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he is trusting her with the very important information. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and he doesn't even wait for her response. And he just says, yes, I know. And surrounded by these sparkly glitter things, just, you know, he's in the spotlight. He's, you know, in, in awe of himself. <laughs> he's very funny. And Lauren immediately rolls her eyes. And I think, Meg, when you were writing this, you counted the number of times she rolled her eyes in this scene. <laughs> I think that was like number five. Yeah. <laughs> and this is pretty constant. Kieran cracks a joke, Lauren rolls her eyes. Kieran <laughs> cracks a joke, Lauren rolls her eyes. They're acting like a married couple already. The dynamic is there. And it's very accurate, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I crack jokes with my husband a lot. Um, yeah, he's more the joke maker and I'm definitely more the eye roller. <laughs> and, but to keep things exciting and non-domestic, he grabs a dagger and throws it at her. Lauren's eyes widen. She catches it. It's about to hit her. She dodges and catches it. Once again, demonstrating her skillfulness. I don't know. That's, that's, not, a, that's not a normal husband-wife you know, interaction. You don't, <laughs> don't throw knives at each other? Really? I thought, okay, never mind. <laughs> it's only a pillow. <laughs> probably and in she, this whole scene, it seems like he's testing her. Like the whole scene coming up. So this is probably like, you know, test her abilities. And, you know, if it kills her, it kills her. If she wasn't able to catch that dagger, he, she wasn't worth his time anyways. I think you're right. I mean, as much as it's painful to hear that, I think you're right. <laughs> um, either that or he has great faith in her, but that's a pretty dangerous bet to make. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so Lauren is, you know, like, what the heck? Like, what's going on? And he says, grab a weapon. He has a, a tray, it looks like of weapons. Long talks bore the devil out of me and you and I are in for another one, which is true. So I found that interesting that he's bored by long talks. <laughs> it's interesting to see what a person finds boring. <laughs> and he says, might as well test your skills while we're at it. Rolls up his sleeves. And Lauren takes off her jacket. Do you really need to last night? I remember correctly, I defeated you. <laughs> which, eh, he was almost about to kill her and she only got him because he stopped and then let her handcuff him. So I'm not so sure yeah. if I agree with her interpretation. Lauren is delusional. She's in her own place <laughs> right now. Um, yeah. You know, blindest of all, she, she can't see things as they are. Mm -hmm. I like that she tries to assert her confidence in small ways though, because this is, you, in any interaction they have, you see a constant power dynamic swinging in between them. And just, it's kind of like a competition to see who can rule the conversation all the time. And so it, it's, and, and he's just like, she says that. And then he's like, okay, yeah, remember, I wasn't actually trying to kill you. So I love that about their dynamic because it is super entertaining. It's competitive, it's fast paced. And it's one of the things that I enjoy most about the story, honestly. The banter yeah. is excellent. <laughs> And I love the fact that you point out it's a constant power play. You know, some couples have this dynamic where one of them is more dominant, the other one is more mm -hmm. submissive, and that's what they want. 
And some couples are like kind of both alphas and that's also what they want. And sometimes it won't work if they're both alphas, but yeah, you're one of those. <laughs> yep. It's those were the things that we laughed about because we're both equally hard-headed uh-huh. and it was, you know, you, especially when you're first getting to know each other thing, it's one of those things that can be really frustrating, but then also unexpectedly, it can be um, almost a help because you can be hard-headed about the same things and then you're united and driven together, which is what I'm hoping for with these two, so. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I come from a long family of dominant women and submissive men, and um, that's just the dynamic that I I can handle. Um, So I I don't even, I don't know what it would be like. I've never seen dominant men. I know, I know it sounds crazy, but not in my personal life. So I'm very curious. <laughs> so anyway, um, and I also like the fact that Kieran admits that he wasn't trying to kill her, which to me makes sense because once he like stopped and froze, I feel, I feel like he just, he stopped. Like he wasn't engaged at all in, in fighting back. And anyway, we have this really cool aerial shot of, it's like a training circle <laughs> over the water, like a little bridge. It's just a really interesting setup over there. I'm, I've definitely never seen a home like that. And now um, I got the feeling this whole scene is kind of exposition time, but it's, mm-hmm. it's done well. Um, you know, he's, it comes in the form of him asking her, so officer, what do you know about the Phantom Scythe? And throughout this whole scene, they are fighting. So just, it's, it's very, it's very them, you know, fighting, competing, throwing stuff at each other, almost killing each other while exchanging information, <laughs> danger, spying information. Um, oh, she yeah. said, sorry, go ahead. I'm so sorry. Honestly, um, now that I think about it, this I could see this being foreshadowing to them having like an actual fight in the future, like some sort of with weapons. Uh, probably not trying to kill each other, maybe like disarm or just neutralize or just like kind of injure to like, you know, stop the other. But I can't see them fighting with weapons in the future. I cannot agree but I think you're right <laughs> that totally would be a great dramatic moment to happen much as I wanted to what if it was in context of them trying to sacrifice the, for the other and they're like no don't sacrifice <laughs> oh my god oh, like why are you making it worse <laughs> like endgame with Clinton and Natasha <laughs> yeah and then- <laughs> that's exactly what I, was I was like oh I I don't I don't know how that they'd be put in a position to do something like that but um heartbreak angst it's all there so- so this past week I discovered I somehow I didn't find it before but um Lena I think it was made mm-hmm. a um animatic of um Lauren dancing with ghost Kieran to the song dancing with your ghost that, that, oh my god that one hurt me I cried when I watched it I was crying and I that listened to the song hurt. all day and I was crying it was terrible I have not seen this I have like not been online at all it's been crazy but I have not seen this I need to like I need to go find this. If I can't find it, I'm going to have you like me look busy. Yeah. Let it me was... find her Instagram right now. I'm going to oh. give Lena a plug. Lena, if you're listening to this, you're getting a free plug for me. <laughs> you're welcome. Um, it was beautiful and, and tragic well. and horrible. It, it literally made me cry all day. Like, I'm not even joking. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's also on YouTube, but her Instagram is LP underscore grumpy. And she makes a ton of amazing fan art. You guys should definitely to anyone listening who hasn't uh, seen her art or um, is unfamiliar with her art she's amazing you should definitely go check out her Instagram I love her so much she's also just brilliant when it comes to theories 
So um, fighting, back to that. So we are learning about the Phantom Scythe. They, um, she doesn't know a lot, but this is what she knows. They've been organized under an anonymous leader for the past decade. And at first it was just him and 13 apostles, which I find interesting that it's 13 instead of 12, but okay. Like, why not go with the... Well, 13 is the number of rebellion. If we're going with the, you know, the, that, I know, you know, future stuff with symbolic stuff. There's a lot of like theorizing about like um, biblical symbolism and that kind of thing. And in the Bible, 13 is the number of rebellion. So I don't know if that was intentional or not. And there's 13 precincts in our tallest. And there's a popular theory that each apostle is in charge of one of the precincts. <laughs> Certainly so. easy logistically. <laughs> mm-hmm. 13. Because like, it's like each apostle has their own business. So like, what if the business is related to each precinct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. And we have this image of a bunch of shrouded people with, you know, in like a V shape. So mysterious. And they're the ones who claim responsibility for the Allendale train station, which is also interesting because in general, like terrorist groups like to claim responsibility for stuff, even if they don't, they haven't necessarily done it because that's part of their, their image is, oh, we're scary, we're, we're terrorists. So I found that interesting. And, you know, we have a hearkening back to that like awful graphic image of this man hung up with the revolution has begun, phantom scythe carbon on this chest. And she says, after that, they started recruiting more. I still don't understand how they got the numbers they did. And Kieran tells us, you'd be surprised what people will believe when they're hungry. And, you know, Ally, you can talk about that for a bit because I know you you can continue with that a little bit of this summary because I know you like that stuff. I'm scared to talk about it more, like, because I'm worried I might spoil something. But okay. I didn't, I forgot about this moment. And so later on, when I was rereading a few episodes looking for um, things to support this one theory, um, I came across this panel and it was like, oh my God, how did I miss this? Like, They've been setting up, they're going to be setting up this theme of like desperation and what it does to people. Um, They're going to be setting up that theme for the rest of the comic. And so if you're reading PH for the first time, anticipate that because I think it is very well executed. Yeah, I agree. When I reread it also, I was like, oh, they mentioned it way back here. Mm -hmm. So this has been in the works for a while. Mm-hmm. I applaud F. That is some great planning. Yeah, I mean, this whole thing requires crazy planning that I don't know if I'm ever capable of. Same. So he says they said their aim was to create a better world without social hierarchy. When you're not noble born, that's pretty appealing. And that image, I mean, his expression on those panels is pretty serious. He has a little bit of a bitter expression in the one where he says, You'll be surprised that people believe when they're hungry which um, we'll know a little bit more about that later, but you can already imagine that he has personal experience with that. Mm-hmm. And that look, when he looks at her and he says, when you're not in Goldberg born, that's pretty appealing. He's kind of looking at her, like we don't know what he knows about Lauren, right? Presumably, you know, she was a random person that dropped off, but he could have done some research before yesterday and today. And he's kind of looking at her like, yeah, Lauren, I know your number. Like I know you're the born <laughs> and like our little clueless. <laughs> I also want to say that like he looks kind of smug and the shadow which is very suspiciously placed is half his face is in the dark or half his face is in the light it kind of and because he looks sort of smug it's sort of like Kieran you know something but you're not quite telling us what it is yet 
Honestly, like, yeah, I think there's so much that the characters aren't telling each other. And we know Lauren's brain, so we know a little bit, you know, what, what she's thinking, but we don't know what Kira knows. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't it be great if we got a person, like, it, at a certain point in the series, once we're far enough along, we actually get a whole section of kind of the same events, but from Kira's perspective? I know oh they God. probably... That would be awesome, I think, but I don't know if they'd ever like do that because it's a lot of energy to just rehash a lot of the same storyline kind of, mm-hmm. but I would pay some money for that. Yeah, <laughs> I would live for that. I mean, I feel like if we did that, we would, there would be no mystery. <laughs> like, at least there would be a lot less of it because he, he probably knows the yeah, other half some, of the story. I mean, there but, might yeah. be some more PS mystery like on Kieran's side. Like he... He's the one who's like deep in the PS. He's with the, like the messenger contacts and stuff. So like there might be more rebellion that we aren't um, quite aware of yet. Yeah, probably some more awful torture scenes. Okay. <laughs> that aspect, Karen. I mean, that's why they're teaming up in the first place. He still doesn't know a lot. I mean, he knows more than her, obviously. But I think that the backstories would be switched. She'd be shrouded in mystery over her motivations, and he doesn't know anything about. It. Like there would be mystery there. It would just be a different kind. Like we'd get his backstory, whatever that is, instead of Lawrence. We wouldn't know about any of it. No spoilers. But um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we wouldn't know any of it. So who knows? So now. Um... We say we learned that these days we're down to seven apostles, only four of which are the surviving originals. The rest were first. Uh, the rest of the first round were either assassinated or killed themselves, which you know just tells you about the nature of an organization where people are assassinated or kill themselves. I mean that's a pretty intense place where there's um, a lot of killing and probably guilt on the side of the, guilt or fear of being killed, so just killing themselves first. So it doesn't mm-hmm. look like the Phantom Sight is a great place to be. <laughs> Not surprisingly, it's a violent terrorist organization. Yeah, with a name like Phantom Sight. So it's not, it's not rainbows. I think that was the last chapter. It's not all cupcakes and rainbows. I'm like, well, it's the name like Phantom Sight. Of course, it's not going to be cupcakes and rainbows. It's a scary place, and yet people still join. So interesting. Like everything they do seems to be horrible, and yet there are still people willing to join. Like, how desperate do you have to be to join an organization that has a Grim Reaper as their, like, logo? Yep. And she says, and how many Phantom Sight members are there now? Um, at this point, you know, she's kind of falling on the ground. He says, hard to hundreds, hard to tell precisely. He's going down. She kind of kicks him. Come on, what else? If this is all the APD knows, we're even worse off than I thought. He's taunting her. Classic. <laughs> And, you know, I find that actually, I feel like their fight some mirrors the, the verbal exchange right now, because, you know, at the moment that she's down, he mocks her and he says, oh, the police doesn't know anything. But then she gets up and she says that the Phantom said, you know, she just goes back with more information. So she's, you know, getting up both in the verbal argument and also in the physical argument. And she says the, the first public act of terrorism was the Allendale train station bombing, November 13th, blank, blank, 17. And we have a little bit of a flashback. The city was inaugurating a new railway financed by the late King Edward. We see an image of the train station and we see King Edward cutting the Red Ribbon. He was killed in the explosion along with many influential members of the government and nobility. So big deal, right? It was a, it was a very important thing. We see boom, the explosion. 
and she says 243 deaths. And at this point, you can kind of feel her anger coming out because she's, you know, she almost attacks him. He has to dodge in order to get away from her. And she says 328 wounded. And once again, he has to dodge. I mean, this is, you feel like she's getting angry and, and more aggressive in the fight because obviously this is something very personal for her. And then, you know, we have a close up of the, her mouth. So again, this is just getting more and more personal and 176 reported missing because obviously, um, you know, the one that she thinks about all the time was one that was reported missing. And at this point, we go straight to her flashback where she's screaming. She's a little girl. She's sobbing hysterically. And in real life, she just freezes. So I kind of feel bad for her, but she she always, you know, this is this is her her blind spot. This is her her Achilles heel. Anything to do with the Alan Station bombing will decapitate decapitate her, incapacitate her. <laughs> And, you know, she's just, she freezes, he grabs her, um, you know, kicks her down and basically, you know, is standing over her with his knife at her throat. Um, yes, and Meg, I see that look. It's like, hmm, sexy, right? <laughs> y'all, she's just talking about a terrorist attack and y'all are like, hmm, yes, sexy. Sorry. <laughs> I, wasn't, I wasn't thinking that actually for once. No? Okay. I was not going there. <laughs> Um, for one, I know it happens. Okay, I mean, it happens. Um, but what I was thinking about was with the little, you know, finger on the chin. Um, could this? He froze that last time, and now she's freezing. Could it be a parallel, and could it be for the same reasons? I mean, uh, probably not. I don't think so. Maybe probably not. But at this point, remember, we only know up to chapter whatever this oh, is. True and theory theorizing up to this point it's hard to think back that far honestly but um i don't it was that an intentional parallel she froze he froze and what was the um reasons behind each freeze great but i like that so something is just interesting uh is that about like at the beginning of this part is lauren talks about how she talks about the numbers she gives us the numbers like how many deaths, how many wounded, and how many missing. And the way that she knows these just off the top of her head is such an important detail because it really shows us how much she knows about the issue and how much she's like, in just, uh, I'm not trying to say this, but how much she's obsessed with it, I guess. Mm-hmm. But you mean just like how some people members of the fandom can like spit out facts about this webcomic at the same speed (laughs) if you ask me to say how many um of each one i wouldn't know but if you ask me what the time is on kim's watch i think i might have that one down (laughs) i memorized that actually because i was like i'm sure this is important i'm sure this is important (laughs) (laughs) yeah but um i feel like because she's just sort of taking a breath because it's such a serious issue that she kind of has to sort of take a step back in a way and just think about it for a moment in her head and it seems like she was thinking to this moment where she's holding the hats and it's just such a serious and tragic moment for her that um, she sort of has to stop for a moment and she can't really continue on with this fight. And I think that's a little bit symbolic in a weird way that like, yeah. uh, 
I don't, I really don't know how to word this, but when something so serious comes up, something so personal, she kind of just isn't able to focus on the issue at hand and sort of has to take a step back and um, face her opponent and see what their reaction is to it. Yeah, we'll definitely see her do this a lot um, where she loses herself and she loses her rational self in her emotions. Mm -hmm. As just kind of a overall, um, we know that F like writes the scripts for these things. And I just like to say that when I was working on this particular chapter, I had something to reference and like go back and it was still incredibly difficult to explain this, this fight sequence in words that flowed and sound good. And I don't know how um, F and Soft come up with the fight sequences, but it is hard to choreograph that stuff. And um, so just props to them on how they do it, how they make it look. But I mean, just thinking about the process from all the way at the beginning to what we see, I mean, how did F even write that down? Like, I've, did they plan it out together? Like, how, I'd love to see F scripts. I really would. Um, I'm not sure if this is correct, but I feel like I saw somewhere that Soph worked with like a friend, like Soph or F, one of them was working mm -hmm. with like a friend and they helped choreograph the scene. And I think there's the same scene. There's another episode in the future, like 10 episodes from now that also required some choreographing and they yeah. uh, pulled in a friend to help. Nice. That's awesome. And so always has these interesting things on her Instagram where, where she'll talk about how like she, um, you know, practices gun poses and then her neighbor is like, what the hell is my neighbor doing? <laughs> um, I recently saw the one that she did with curtains. That one, oh my goodness, I laughed. That was hysterical. Yes. <laughs> yeah, very amusing. So anyway, she's on the ground. She is um, kind of like mesmerized in another world and his knife is at her throat. His, he's got her pinned. Her hand, knife is out of her hands and he smirks and he says, if you can't finish telling me what you know, then I can't tell you about my lead. And it seems like he's trying to get a reaction of her. She's like catatonic. <laughs> mm -hmm. And he's kind of saying that like mom, we don't really have time for this. Like um, we're staying to business. Remember, that's the whole deal. Like it it's nothing personal in this. Uh, mm -hmm. We're here for business and we're here to take down the PS and you know we don't have much time to do that so if you so if you can't finish telling me what you know then I can't tell you about my Lee like um there's something I need to tell you but um if we're taking this long then I will not get the chance I think he sees that she gets in her head and in her emotions she gets in her emotions too much and I think he already realizes that of how intensely she feels about this kind of stuff. And so far up to this point, Kieran has been very like detached in a sense. He's able to keep those emotions, the job, his actions. He's able to keep it all separate at this point, which is something Lauren hasn't been able to figure out yet. Mm -hmm. So, and then the chapter ends there, like the cruel cruelty that it was. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, in the credits, there is yeah, a combat instructor. <laughs> okay. 
cool. Yeah, it comes. <laughs> and then I see the author's note also is imagine you're staring at your neighbor's window and you see someone awkwardly swinging around a kid's scissor. That's me trying to understand the dagger fight sequence. So yeah, so it looks like she had some practice with this, a pair of scissors. But even doing the translation, that is talent. I raise a water bottle. <laughs> I love the top comment. I have a dumb question. How in God's name did he get all the furniture in practice room slash area into a cave hidden deep in the wood? Very good point. Yeah. Maybe he does have some friends after all. <laughs> oh, and you noticed that uh, Lauren was bandaged up this chapter. So either yes. uh, Kieran came supplied with a bandage. I don't think Lauren did. So bandage yeah. up the So, I mean, hopefully he has like antiseptic or something. So I love that detail. Uh, both he and Lauren have bandages on their hand. Well, they haven't died after episode, you know, as of episode 90. So I guess they were not mortally infected by that knife <laughs> by the last chapter. Where's the tetanus? I'm asking for the tetanus. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a very disappointing conclusion. It's like, oh, we're about to embark on this adventure. And then they both die in the cave of like something that was How long preventable. Take for tetanus to kick in. No idea, but <laughs> like later. later. <laughs> Get some new uh, protagonists. So I also want to notice if you notice, like Lauren is um, lying back on this. It was the training thing, but it looks like she's lying on a carpet, and it's like this fleur uh, de lis pattern. No, not exactly, but he's um he's got pretty good, you know, decorations. Like he has nice furniture. He takes care of himself. <laughs> it's classic. Okay. It's, uh, pretty good. According to the CDC, the incubation period, the time from exposure <laughs> to illness, is usually between three and 12 days, an average of 10 days. However, it may occur from one day to several months, depending on the kind of wound. Most cases occur within 14 days. Okay, so technically it could still happen according to the Purple High season. Yeah, it could happen. <laughs> you know, maybe end of season two-ish. Uh, well, season two is starting to pick up like over more time, but you know, the tetanus could kick in around any time now. <laughs> okay, well, we'll keep an eye out. <laughs> we'll know. We're, we're on the lookout. Yeah, as long as the concussions don't catch up to him first. <laughs> or the late night of sleep deprivation, walking into a pole or something. Starvation, dehydration. <laughs> yeah. A severe yeah. lack of serotonin. <laughs> Well, Lauren, like, faint from lack of sleep yet. Yeah. Well, we did see her get one night of sleep. That was great. <laughs> and yet, did well, we? Yeah, yeah, we did. Like a full night? Yes, oh, I think so. It was full kind of, it was like half a night. I'd say like she got home probably around 12, 1 a.m., 2 a.m.-ish. <laughs> but I don't want to spoil stuff, so. So do we have any final thoughts on this chapter? A lot of exposition. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Sorry. Um, A lot of exposition. That's my main thought. I came on, I signed up for this episode because I want to talk about the PS. (laughs) Mainly. It's where we learn the most about, like so far in the comic, it's one of the chapters where we learn the most about them and about their hierarchy. And although it's still like it's a very vague outline, it gives us a better idea of how it works. You know, that's a good thing to know this early on because you know it's set, everything about this chapter is still setting up the world that PH takes. And like we see Big Ben, the first or 
a clock tower that looks a lot like Big Ben. The first um, in the first panel, uh, we see forest and we see a creek and we see caves. So it kind of gives us an idea of where this place is or where this story is taking place. And you know the societies and uh, sort of groups in it, as we know, like there's a hierarchy or there's a monarchy. I think it was mentioned in an earlier chapter, but like you know we see some history of the city and um, the royals and the PS's role in that history. Yeah, I just admit, the first couple arcs are my favorite, like their first meeting and their first missions together and that kind of stuff. So I just, I love the beginning chapters. Obviously it's the first thing that got me sucked in. So they have mm -hmm. a special place in my heart. Oh yeah, same. I also find it interesting to see how the artwork has developed over time because mm -hmm. uh, it's a little bit more crude in the earlier episodes and either they have more more time to work on it now because it's full-time or you know also more develop more skill and I find that very inspiring because um you know I think a lot of us aspire to produce works of art whether it's through literature or drawing or whatever it is and we look at people who have completed works and we're like we'll never get there we'll never be that way we'll never be that good but it's great to see people who start out to see them improving because then you feel like okay I can do that too yeah even going back to her other comic life and just seeing the the um the development in the arc from in the art from that point to just even the first chapter of Purple Hyacinth it's it's amazing to see the growth and just how much she's developed and I kind of feel lucky that I'm, I'm, I didn't come across this thing when it was finished. Like I'm enjoying the hype and just the waiting. It's, it's part of the fun. Yeah. Um, I've, I adore the art style, like throughout the comic. Um, season one has some of my favorite uh, art, art moments and season two also has a lot of great art moments as well. But I think just throughout, although the art style does change, it has stayed like pretty consistent and pretty like really good. And just looking at all the details and the poses and the shadows, and that's, that takes a lot of time to do. And it honestly impresses me that Soph and her assistants are able to get this done in like a week. Mm -hmm. So please take a break. This must be so exhausting to do like, you know, and I don't know how like she doesn't have 60, like 70 hours. So need the break. I admire her hard work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't I know how they all don't have tetanitis at this point because just just like that position, like I'm on a computer twenty four seven, and then I come home and I and I practice and then I write for a hobby. So my hands are like this all the time, and it's a real problem. And I don't like she must be invincible, or I don't know what she does, but she needs to leave tips in the in the in the in the, in the notes. So I think she has a chiropractor. But she hasn't been able to visit her chiropractor because of the pandemic, or that's what it was like a year ago. Mm -hmm. I completely agree. Um, this is also definitely one of my favorite art styles, and I, yeah, would love to be able to make something as beautiful as this. <laughs> yeah, I I adore PH's art style. Yep. Mm -hmm. So. If that's all we have, I think we can end it because we are trying to keep to a new and shorter time limit. So thank yeah. you so, so much for coming on. This was fantastic, fun. Always a pleasure. Yeah, it is. Okay, I'm looking forward to a new episode releasing tonight. <laughs> so we'll catch Enjoy you there. next podcast.
what uh, enjoy the next podcast yeah mm-hmm. yeah it's the last one of us who was bride so uh, have a little more time then <laughs> okay well thanks so much have a great night see you good later night, good night Thank you so much to my current patrons, Susie, Lady Libris, Ali Cat, Lily, Jenny, Haley, One and Only Taco, Elizabeth, Maria, Molly, Veronica, Emily, Emily, Joe Rochelle, Dahlia, Saucy Tuggles, Meg, Anne Rose, Priya, and Alexa. Your support is much appreciated.